Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, can you open them up to Habakkuk 1? We're going to be in Habakkuk 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles right now who would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand. If you don't own a Bible, uh, keep it. Consider that our gift to you. We are going to be in Habakkuk this morning because um, God asked himself the question, what would make my Bible complete? And he thought more of the letter K. So we're going to be in Habakkuk. There's three K's in Habakkuk. I challenge you to find another word with three K's in it. I can't. Um, but that's the prophet we're going to hang out with this morning. We're actually going to do an overview of the entire book this morning. It's going to be great. Um, but before we do that, I need you guys to be right with me this morning from the beginning. There, there's no runway. I'm not easing into this. I need your help right now. All right. We are officially in the holiday season, right? Snow is on the ground, plans have been made, Chris, or Thanksgiving is on Thursday, Christmas is coming, um, we are in it, whether we like it or not, no turning back. And here's what I want you to think about. What is the one circumstance that weighs most heavily on your mind this holiday season? What is it? What is that one thing that as you enter the holidays takes up the most of your mental thought and capacity? And if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write that down. What is the thing you are spending most of your time, what is the circumstance that you are wrestling with most right now in your life? Is it a family circumstance, right? We are going to spend a lot of time with family, many of us, over the next month, and that can be a great blessing, or it can be the worst, depending on how your family is. Is it a family thing? Is it a financial thing? Is it a job thing? Is it a marriage thing? What is the circumstance in your life that is like front and center in your mind. Do you have it? If you have it, say, I got it. Okay, we're going to jump back on that in, in a little bit, but we need to be thinking about that right now. You're probably thinking about it anyways. And uh, if you've been with us this fall, we are today wrapping up a 10-week series that we have done on prayer. And we've looked at 10 different stories. This will be the 10th this morning. 10 different stories of how God used prayer in powerful ways in the Old Testament. And up on the screen behind me, I've got a quick recap of what we've done. If you remember week one, we looked at Hezekiah and we talked about how prayer intersects with the will of God. Does a sovereign God that is in control of everything actually listen to our prayer? The answer is yes, he does. And he responds to our prayer we looked at the prayer of Jabez and a prayer for increased influence. Remember that? Expand my borders. Give me more influence on the time you've given me, God. We looked at the story of Elisha and the prayer for perspective where his servant saw a great army coming and Elisha's like, no, 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 whoever's with us is greater than what's out there. And he said, open my servant's eyes and there was an army of angels surrounding the battlefield. Remember that cool story? The prayer for perspective. Um, a prayer for wisdom when Solomon was a young child becoming king. God, give me wisdom. Help me lead these people. A prayer of repentance with David after he sinned with Bathsheba. Another prayer of Solomon where he dedicated the temple. Praying for our church. Jehoshaphat, a prayer of salvation. Remember, God, we do not know what we're doing, but our eyes are on you. And then last week we looked at Jeremiah, a prayer for understanding, where Jeremiah was asked to buy a piece of land in a place that was about to be taken captive. And he's like, God, what are you doing here? 
And we've looked at all of these prayers and what we've tried to say is that, listen, prayer is a necessity in our lives and God responds to us in supernatural ways when we humble ourselves and pray. And we've heard from you a ton of feedback on this series and this is what we've heard. We're like, hey, this is the best series yet and we love this series on prayer and it's been so impactful. But can I ask you a question? Is God's word changing your heart this fall? Are you actually praying more as a result of sitting under God's word? Church, we can't be a, a place that just talks about prayer being a good thing. Or saying, yeah, we acknowledge that prayer is powerful. We need to be a church that prays. So if we could have a little spiritual discipleship moment in our hearts right now, I would ask the question, is God moving in your heart this fall? Are we running quickly to prayer in all seasons of our life. I think it's something we should wrestle with this morning. And if you have your notes this week out, um, you'll see at the top that we're looking at a prayer of thanksgiving. And I would like to take credit and say that we planned this to fall on the week of Thanksgiving. We're not that smart. It just happened by chance. But we look good. So I'm happy about that. But that was completely random. And um, we're not that smart. But let's have some honesty in church. Can we be honest for a minute? When you guys think of Thanksgiving, the holiday, if you could be honest, raise your hand if you're like, the best part about Thanksgiving is it means that Christmas is only a month away. Like, if we could be honest, somebody like, like, Thanksgiving's lame, I'm all about Christmas. Raise them up, be proud, come on. Right, I think Thanksgiving's a JV holiday and Christmas is varsity, right? And some of you are like, I just want to get through Thanksgiving so I can put my Christmas stuff up because it's objectively wrong to do it before Thanksgiving, but after Thanksgiving, I'm allowed to do it. All right, here's another question. You don't need to raise your hand. You can just nod at me and smile. I don't want to get you in trouble. How many of you have to do that terrible Thanksgiving tradition where you've all got to sit around the table and name one thing you're thankful for? Right? Okay, some people are raising their hand, right? And all the moms are looking at me being like, what are you talking about? That's not terrible. And all the kids are like, it's the worst. I want to die. Um, on the Moeller side of the family, we've actually bullied Lori Moeller out of it. The kids rebelled, we took a stand, we said, listen, we're grown-ups now, we don't have to do this, this tradition is done. And we won, right, that really happened. So, um, here's the thing though, when it comes to Thanksgiving, or even that sitting around the table saying, hey, what are you thankful for? What do we share in those moments? Like, when we think about the things that we're thankful for, isn't it almost always circumstances going well for us? Man, I'm so thankful that I've got this new relationship in my life, or I'm thankful for the new job, or I'm thankful for the raise, or I'm thankful that my kids are healthy, I'm thankful that the whole family is back together, right? We all know the moms just want one of the kids desperately to say, I'm thankful for my mom, she's the best thing in the whole world, right? It's like, let's just start with that and not play the game. Um, but so often... It is all about circumstances in our lives. And we tend to just run towards circumstances when we think of thankfulness. And the big idea I have this morning, which is kind of where we're going, it's this. is that if my circumstances determine my joy, I'm playing a losing game. If my circumstances are the thing in my life that my joy and my hope is tied to, you've already lost. Here's why. Because everyone's circumstances will change. There is not a person in this room whose circumstances will be the exact same in a year from now as they are today. 
Circumstances change all the time. And if our joy is dependent on how things are going in our life, we've already lost. The best we can hope is that there's more good times than bad times because when they're bad, we're going to be miserable. And when they're good, we're going to feel amazing. One of the greatest gifts that we have in Christ is that we can have a joy. There is a joy that is available to us that is deeper than merely our circumstances. In James 1, talking about prayer, James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And I think if we could be honest with one another this morning, I think we feel like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the winds and circumstances of life way more than we'd like to admit. We like to put on this front like our faith is strong and we're good and we're going to trust God no matter what. But when the circumstances come, if we were honest, so often our first move is towards complaining or despair or frustration and anger. And what God's word says is, listen, there's a better path for us. There's a better way that we don't have to be tied to our circumstances, but there's a joy and security that we can have that's deeper than our circumstances. And what's cool about this morning is we're going to meet a man named Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is a lot like us. He is going to find himself in some difficult circumstances, and he's not happy about it. He's angry, he's grumpy, he's upset, he's moody. And we're going to see that even in him not handling his circumstances well, that God is good and he meets him and he transforms his prophet's heart. All right, so Habakkuk was a prophet in the nation of Judah. And this is right when the Babylonians were growing in power. All right, so the people in Israel, in Judah, where, where Habakkuk was, they didn't follow God anymore. They didn't love God. They weren't listening to him. They were worshiping pagan gods. They were worshiping idols. And it's a bad gig to have when you're a prophet of God, when no one listens to God. That means no one's listening to you, right? So Habakkuk is frustrated that no one listens to him. And then out in, in like the distance, there's this growing world empire called the Chaldeans, who are the Babylonians. And they're taking up land. They're growing in strength. They're growing in power. And everyone knows it's a matter of time before they march on Israel. It's not a great spot to be. His circumstances are not amazing. And look what he says in verse 1. He says, O oh Lord... How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Great start, right? Things are good. He's happy. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. A lot of 100% words right there. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice go forth perverted. And what Habakkuk is doing is he is starting his book out by asking one of the two questions that we often ask when our world is upside down. And it's this. Hey God, can you see? Can you see what's happening? He's like, God, we're supposed to be your people. We're supposed to be the light of the world. And all I see around me is wickedness. And the wicked prevail. Your law is being trampled over. Nobody cares. Nobody loves you. Can you not see what's happening? Are you engaged? Why are you so absent? Where are you in this? 
And I think that's something that we can often ask when we face difficult circumstances. God, where are you? Like, don't you see? Like, where, where are you in this sickness? Where are you in this broken relationship? Why are you allowing this to happen? It says that you're a God who heals and restores and gives life, but all I see around me is brokenness and death. Why are you passive? You know, it's interesting. As I get older, one of the things that becomes more and more apparent to me is just how limited our perspective really is. Do you know that we have a very, very limited perspective? I was thinking about it. I was born in 1986. Okay, so here's what that means. My entire life, all I have ever known is America being a world power, the world power. All I have ever known is that America is safe, it is secure, it runs the world economics and policies, it's got the strongest military, it's the most involved in things around the world. All I've ever known is being a citizen of a world power. And uh, this perspective got rocked for me this past spring when a group of our church went to Israel. And uh, we were touring Israel. And throw up the next slide. I want to show you. This was the coolest place that I went to on the whole tour. And uh, behind Mary and I is this thing. It's called Abraham's Gate. And it was discovered a few years ago by an archaeologist. And Abraham's gate, they call it Abraham's gate because they believe this gate was around during the time of Abraham, which would make it roughly 4,000 years old. Right? That this was a structure that was standing 4,000 years ago. All right, so to put that into some perspective, our country is not 250 years old yet. And it's like, man, our perspective, my perspective, my whole life has been, man, America is the jam. Like, it is the strong power. It runs things. And in reality, we are just a baby still on the world stage. And I was like, man, I totally get why the rest of the world kind of views us as obnoxious teenagers. Because we totally are. We have been around for a very, very small time in world history, but our perspective is we've been strong our whole lives and we can think it's always been like that. Our perspective is limited. And here's the thing, it's true in our lives. Okay, look here. Your perspective on your own life is limited. All you can see is what's going on right now and what's happening in your life. Listen, what is God's ultimate plan for your life? You don't know. What's God's ultimate plan for your family? You can't be sure. All we can do is see what God is doing now, look back on his path, past faithfulness, and we're called to trust him in the process. Right? Habakkuk is seeing what's, going around, what's happening, what's going on around him, and he's like, this isn't good. Where are you? You're absent. But his perspective is limited. Turn to your neighbor and say, your perspective is limited. Right? And some of you bristle at that thought. The fact that you might not know the whole story drives you crazy. Our perspective is so limited. Look at how God responds to Habakkuk in verse 5. This is really funny. I love this. He says, look among the nations and wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. All right, so if I'm Habakkuk right now, I'm thinking, okay, good. I'm about to get some good news here. God's doing something. It's going to be amazing. He's going to change everything. He's going to save us. Okay, look what he says in verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. 
that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. Their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. Right, so Habakkuk are like, listen, things are bad in Israel, God, what are you doing? He's, and God's like, listen, no, no, I've got this amazing plan. I'm going to bring up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who are worse and more wicked and more evil than the people in Israel, and they're going to take over Judah. And Habakkuk's like, and the good part is, right? And the amazing part that I couldn't believe is? Right, God's like, listen, you don't think I'm working? I'm working, and it's awesome, and it's going to be more terrible for you for a while. And um, Habakkuk isn't a huge fan of this response. And this leads to the next question we often ask when our world is upside down. God, are you good? Like, are you really worth trusting and having faith in? If what I see is happening is true, how can I know that you're good? Look what he says in verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Do you see how he's challenging his character? He's saying, God, aren't you from everlasting? Aren't you eternal? Aren't you good? It says that you're too holy that you can't look at evil, but you're cool with allowing more wicked people to swallow up us. And isn't it funny how at the beginning of chapter 1, he's complaining about how rotten Judah is? And then in verse 13, he calls them the righteous people? Like, it's funny how our, our argument changes when we realize we're losing. It's like, oh, we're terrible, we're worse, we don't follow you. But then it's like, all right, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans. He's like, but we're the good guys. It's like, how does that change? He's trying to argue with God. But he's saying, if you're good, you surely would not allow this to happen. Isn't that so true of our hearts? How often do we have this picture of what we perceive as fairness? And if God doesn't live up to that, we become angry. Hey, God, I loved you. And my family, we went to church every Sunday and we prayed before meals and before bed and I raised my kids to love the Lord and now my son's acting like an idiot. It's not right. It's not fair. Like you say that, that you love your family and we've given our lives to you and my children are out of control. It's not right. Or God, I, I've worked hard and I've done it right and, and you've allowed things in my company to happen where I'm getting looked over for being faithful and the guys that cut corners always seem to win. It's not right, it's not fair. You're not good for allowing this to happen. This is a question that we can often wrestle with when our world is upside down. And look really quickly, quickly with me at a chapter two, verse one. Habakkuk gets kind of proud of himself. And he's like, man, I've nailed God to the wall. He's not going to have a good answer for me. So he goes, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And I will look out and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Okay, so here's what he's saying. He's like, God, I'm going to go up to a tower 
super high where you can see me, and I'm going to wait and see what you got to say for yourself. Right? If I'm Habakkuk's friend, I'm not going on that tower with him, right? I'm like, bro, he's going to hit that thing with lightning. He's going to set that thing on fire. This is not a fight you're going to win. And he's like, God, you need to answer for yourself. Look how God responds in verse 2. These are the key verses, Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4 in the entire book. He says, the Lord answered me, write this vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. God's like, get your pen out. This is important. Write this down, Habakkuk. He said, for the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not delay. Then here it is. Behold, this is God talking about Habakkuk. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, he's saying, hey, Habakkuk, listen. I don't need you to complain about your circumstances. I don't need you to question my character. Rather than being miserable in your circumstances, you need to get your eyes out of your belly button and look at me and the righteous shall live by faith. The story of Habakkuk is the story of a man who is facing hard circumstances and he's frustrated with what's going on around him and God wants these circumstances to change the heart of his prophet. Habakkuk is concerned with making the circumstances go away. God is concerned about changing his prophet's heart. And by the way, this is so true of us. So often, we want the circumstance to change, and God wants the circumstance to change us. Church, we need to see this. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Think back to that thing you wrote down earlier. What is the one circumstance in your life heading into the holidays that's taking up your time, effort, and energy? You need to see that circumstance as ordained by God to change your heart. Is there a broken relationship? Is he calling you to forgive like God forgives and to love like God loves and to show grace like God has showed grace to us? Is it a fear that he's saying, listen, give it to me. Don't hold on to it. Trust me in this scary situation. The circumstance you wrote down, God is using to change your heart. And we have a choice. We can yield ourselves to the will of God and allow ourselves to be changed. Or we can white knuckle it and dig our heels in the sand and say, no, no, I'm going to navigate this myself. And we're not going to grow and nothing is going to get better. Habakkuk was frustrated about what was going on in his life, and God is patiently saying, no, no, Habakkuk, I want your heart. I want your faith. I want your trust. God would say the same thing to us in our frustration. All right, turn with me to Habakkuk 3.17. We're going to look at the last few lines of this book, and this is so cool. So you have to remember, this is the same guy that was writing his frustration and complaint and going to a tower to kind of stick it in the face of God. Look how he closes this book. He says this, So the fig tree should not blossom, nor there be fruit on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God of the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer, and he makes me tread on my high places. 
Here's why this book is so powerful. You have the angry, complaining prophet who God speaks to and is patient with in his frustration. And the book of Habakkuk ends with one of the most beautiful prayers in the entire Bible. He says, basically, if everything goes wrong, if there's no food in the stalls, if there's no gas in the car, if all of my relationships are broken, if everything goes belly up, yet I will take joy in the Lord. And I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He is showing an either way faith. God, whatever happens in this circumstance, I'm going to have joy and I'm going to trust you because my eyes are no longer on my circumstance. They're on the one who ordained this circumstance through his love and power to shape me and mold me. And that same type of joy and strength is available to us. We see a dramatic heart change and what we're going to see from these verses is we're going to see three reasons we can be joyful in every season. He lays them out right in the text. We have to hold on to this, church. Here's the first. We can be joyful in every season because our salvation is secure. My salvation is secure. You see it right in the text. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So here's an interesting thing. Um, Habakkuk lived... Hundreds of years before Jesus, and yet he calls God the Lord of his salvation. Think about it. When he was writing this, all he knew was that the Babylonians were coming and they were going to wipe out Israel. But he's writing saying, no, no, my joy is in the God of my salvation. You see, even in the Old Testament, the people of God were looking forward to this Messiah that would redeem them and save them and make things right between man and God. So here's what's amazing. You got to think about this. What is the answer to the two questions we ask when our world is upside down? Can you see and are you good? The answer to both of those is Jesus Christ. Do you wonder if God can see what's going on? He's answered that in giving us Jesus. You wonder if God's engaged? He is so engaged that he sent himself to dive headfirst into our mess and into our brokenness. If God was really passive and sitting idly by, he would have never given his son to be the penalty for our sin and to save us. God absolutely can see and he is with you and he is in the mess and he has proven that. In Jesus Christ. And then the second question, God, are you good? Jesus answers that question too. God is so much better than we could ever deserve. We're the guilty ones, church. We're the rebellious ones. We're the ones that have turned away from God. And God has pursued us in love and grace and mercy. And he gave everything to have a relationship with us. Does God see? Yes, he gave us Jesus. Is God good? Yes, he gave us Jesus. And here's what you need to know, church. That that joy and that salvation is secure. The Bible says that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God. On your good days and on your bad days and on your in-between days, our standing in Christ is secure. No matter what your circumstances are. Listen, if you're here and things are hard, this is as close to hell as you will ever be. But your salvation is secure. You are in Christ. The most true thing about you is that you are a child of God whose eternity is destined for heaven. How can we not have joy if we believe that is our identity? It makes the circumstances right now seem small, doesn't it? Our perspective can be limited. Second reason we can have joy in any season is that my God is strong. 
Look what he says in verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. All right, and notice the nuance of that word. He doesn't say that God the Lord makes me strong. He doesn't say that God the Lord gives me strength. He's not saying that God is like our spiritual Bowflex machine that buffs us up. He's saying, no, no, that, that God becomes our strength. That, listen, when we are facing difficult circumstances, when we choose faith and trust, there's a supernatural strength that his spirit gives us that is greater than anything we could have in ourselves. Okay, I've been at this church for eight years. I have seen this happen hundreds of times. People losing loved ones, marriages on the rocks, addictions that are devouring people's lives. And when they yield themselves to God, he becomes their strength. And people are saying, man, six months ago, I couldn't take a single step forward. Now I'm on top of the mountain. God does that. We're not playing a game here. We're not talking about what ifs. God is real. His spirit is present with us. And there's a strength that is available to you that is outside of yourself. Do you need that this holiday season? It's available. And then here's the third. We can have joy in every season because my hope is certain. Look how he closes the book. He goes, he makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. Now, I don't want to be like the deer during hunting season in West Michigan, right? But that's not what Habakkuk's talking about. What he's talking about is that, listen, my steps are light. He's going to take me to high places. So think about this. Habakkuk is in a nation that doesn't love God that's about to be taken over by the Babylonians, and he's saying, listen, God's with me. I'm, it's going to end up good for me. I'm going to go to high places. My feet are light because my hope is certain. And no matter what's going on in my life, I have a hope that will not change. Do you see Habakkuk's confidence that things are going to be okay? Right? Chapter 1, verse 1. Why do I cry and you don't hear? Right? Chapter 3, Verse 19, my feet are like the deer, my hope is certain, you're taking me to high places. That is the difference between a people whose hope is in their circumstances and their hope is in God. And um, the best way I can think of illustrating this is I want to introduce you to a family who has faced some of the hardest circumstances you could ever imagine and have modeled so well what it looks like to have a hope that is certain in Christ, a salvation that is secure, and a God that is strong. Check out this video. Didn't know we'd be crying at church this morning, huh, when you came in? And uh, to be honest, I had to watch that video like five times this week just to get to the point where I could talk after watching that video. And um, here's why we tell that story. Because it's easy to talk about supernatural strength that comes from the Lord through prayer. It's really powerful to see it, isn't it? And, and church, this is real. There is a supernatural power and joy that is only available in Jesus Christ. Nick and Susie have every excuse to have their joy defined by their circumstances. And you can see in their face, my wife and I just spent some time with them last week praying with them. Their hope and their joy is so real and it is not tied to their child or to a circumstance. It is tied to the rock that is Jesus Christ. But church, the only way we're going to experience this joy is if we're people who take prayer seriously. Not just talk about it. Not just think about it. Not just know that we should be praying. You know, so often we think of prayer as a means to an end. 
right? There's a circumstance I don't like. I want it changed. I need help. God, would you help me? God, would you change? God, would you fix? God, would you solve? And listen, God does answer our prayers and he responds, but you need to understand that prayer is an end in itself. That his spirit and his strength and his peace becomes present in terrible times. That we can have joy when we believe firmly in the power of prayer. What type of person are you going to be? What type of church are we gonna be? Well, I'm ready to be done talking about it. I wanna pray about it, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good and you are faithful. And God, would we, would we mirror the heart of your prophet who says that even if everything else goes poorly, we will delight in the Lord of our salvation. That there is nothing in this world that even compares to knowing you. God, I thank you for Nick and Susie and their story. And God, I'm just asking right now, would they feel your peace anew this morning as they enter into the first Thanksgiving and the first Christmas without Haven? God, would they um, feel your peace? Would they sense your presence? Would you do what you have been doing and be faithful to them? God, I thank you for their joy. I thank you for their real love for you. What an awesome thing it is to know you, God. We need you. It's in your great son's name we pray. Amen.